Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Would you like stories? Of course, everybody does, right? Everyone loves a good story, one that wraps you up in its thickening plot, an epic tale that pits ageless good against relentless evil. In such a good book, the author writing in so-called third-person omniscient, you remember that term? He or she, as an author, may privilege you, the reader, by granting, <coughs> excuse me, granting you a very rare big picture of the whole story arc right up front, something akin to, say, an overture if you were at a musical. The author is giving us this 30,000-foot perspective momentarily just to share a glimpse of the bigger cosmic struggle, the story behind the story, and it's just a fleeting glimpse, though, before you descend once again below the shroud of clouds and back into the dramatic details of the street-level character whose metal is about to be tested by the author. And it's in their trial, their testing, when it's done right by the author, that we, the readers, begin to see something of ourselves that we didn't see before in that character. Through identifying with, usually it's the main character, but it could be others as well. But as we identify there, we ourselves can now enter into that same challenge or same trial that's going on in the book. And what do you know? We just might find ourselves stretched or inspired to change. Our character development going on within ourselves mirrors the main character's moral development. And that's what a good book or even a movie can do when things really start to happen. Well, one of the best books ever, and it so splendidly accomplishes all this, and which is also, incidentally, a book considered to be, just generally speaking, one of the best ever written in the original English language. And that book is J.R.R. Tolkien's classic fantasy trilogy, The Lord of the Rings. Just out of curiosity, how many people have read that? All right, we've got a few nerds like me out there. <laughs> Good for you guys. Well, it was written during the World War II era, and the 150 million-plus copies sold to date would seem to argue for its rightful and respected place in literary history. Uh, not that popularity is the acid test, but it's got that and then a whole lot more. It's at one stirring, stirring spot in the book, the second book actually, The Two Towers, where Tolkien creates almost a kind of story within a story commentary through one of the main characters. I'm talking about that fiercely loyal hobbit, Samwise Gamgee. From Sam, as his fellow hobbit friends like to call him, I will share that stirring quote in just a minute, but to set the scene a little better, Sam is this unassuming, unintimidating, short, furry-footed hobbit uh, who's vowed to, at all costs, help, save, comfort, and defend his friend, Frodo. I'm sure some of you are familiar with him, the same Frodo, who himself is tasked to fulfill a destiny of his own, and the thing that Frodo must do is complete a quest to destroy this alluring power of a ring he bears, a ring that has the power to reawaken a catastrophic evil 
And that's what would result in unleashing the end of all things. And that is, of course, if the beguiling ring would ever fall into those wrong hands. So together on their perilous journey, Frodo and Sam must outsmart, outmaneuver the onslaught of villainous beasts and enchanting dark wizards. For fantasy fiction, come on, this storyline sounds quite promising, doesn't it? Uh, but I realize fantasy fiction is not for everyone. But this quote now by the hobbit, Samwise Gamgee, I think all would agree this quote is testament to Tolkien's talent as a writer. Just when things are looking hopeless and grim for these two characters, Frodo and Sam, Samwise Gamgee voices these stir stirring words. It's like the great movies, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered. Uh, the stories, rather. You can tell I prefer the movies. Uh, full of darkness, full of danger they were. And sometimes you didn't even want to know the end because how could the end be happy? How could the world ever go back to the way it was when so much bad has happened? But in the end, Sam continues, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come, and when the sun shines, it'll shine out the clearer. I know now, folks in these stories had lots of chances to turn back, only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something, that there's some good in this world, Mr. Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. I love that quote. It's very poignant, and it's very apropos for today, too, wouldn't you say? There's almost a prophetic word in there for us today with everything going on right now in this crazy world of ours. I mentioned that Tolkien wrote during the WW2 years. That's significant because, and I don't need to remind those of us who lived those days, I think uh, Dick Mulkey, our brother over there, was even in the war. Um, people looked at the world differently back then. There was quite a difference between the dis disposition of folks between pre-World War II America and then post-World War II America. And it's kind of like today. We find ourselves talking about pre-pandemic days and post-pandemic days, and there's a big difference going on there. The war back then, in fact, changed history, and in such a way that people were able to see the distinction of good versus evil all the more clearly. And it was in big ways, kind of like that 30,000-foot perspective that we can get. What they saw and did in those post-World War II days still impacts today's global situation, including even this latest war going on right now in the Middle East, the declared war between Israel and Hamas. So going back then, it was in the immediate aftermath of the Holocaust in the late 1940s and during the same time when Great Britain had control over that significant little strip of land on the eastern Mediterranean, back then known as Palestine. It was in that state of affairs that Great Britain was empowered to negotiate the rights to establish a Jewish homeland in the Middle East once again. And by once again... I mean, the last time the Jews were the main inhabitants of that little strip of land was 1,900 years before this. So that, once again, goes all the way back to the first century 
and the forthcoming destruction of the Jewish temple that Jesus predicted in the gospel accounts. The prophecy of the temple's destruction was soon fulfilled in 70 AD when the invading Roman general, uh, later to be known uh, as the Roman emperor Titus, when he infamously destroyed the temple, desecrating it, and then scattering off the Jews from Jerusalem and Judea uh, to all different places throughout the world in what's called the diaspora, the scattering of the Jews. Okay, I'm going to stop there in terms of Middle East details because that's beyond my pay grade. And with what I already said, I hope I didn't already upset one political view or another. The pulpit, of course, is no place to push one's own political position on anything uh, that is anything short of violating scripture, which I would have to call out. But frankly, I'm still sorting out, I'm still working out for myself uh, what is my take on what's happening there in the Middle East. Some things are very complicated, and some things are not. Either way, as Bible-believing Christians, we don't have the option to ignore Israel's storied history. Jesus and the apostles meant for us to consider canonical, like we do, all 39 of those treasure-filled books of the Old Testament. These are Holy Spirit-inspired books also, just like our New Testament. And the law, the prophets, and the writings, all of which Jesus fully endorsed, they are providentially preserved and presented for us for our own spiritual edification. So like Jesus in the synagogue, we also read uh, these books out loud. It's just this kind of upheaval in the world, uh, the, the mass shootings here, the terrorism there, the degradation, uh, degradation rather, our culture's values here, the breakdown of traditional Christian mores still all over Europe and in just about every part of this crazy world now. It's all part of the picture of chaos and confusion today on account of which many a politician as well as a parishioner remain baffled by it. The world today is really in an embittered mess for both young and old, for pagan and Christian alike. And even here in the U.S., the land of the Bill of Rights, right, we must learn to expect that living in favor of both God and man can no longer be something that's just assumed. So-called free nations in Nordic places, which were Formerly, all Lutheran nations were together, the, the Lutheran church and the state were once wed. They have had what we might call now an ugly divorce. In Sweden and Finland, both, for instance, police have arrested conservative Lutheran ministers after all these centuries. And they're arrested for simply publicly quoting the Bible's teaching on marriage. One man, one woman. Persecution from places that you wouldn't expect. But isn't this the life and even the risk of losing your life that the saints of the Lord should expect? Jesus thought so, as we shall take a look at momentarily. Saints, feast days of saints, festivals of saints, they typically celebrate those saints' dying day, not their birthday. And with the death toll of Christian martyrs, just in the first 300 years, being as high as, some estimate, 20 million Christians. 
the commemoration calendar that way is going to fill up real fast. And after all, there are only 365 days in a year. Well, then one of those days will be set aside for all saints, all the saints who from their labors rest, as we just sung in our, our hymn. For all the saints opens up with a reference to those saints who are absent from the body and now at home with the Lord. These saints are part of what we call now the church triumphant because they ran the race, they fought the good fight, and they kept the faith till their dying day. They triumphed. And now they're still witnesses, according to the book of Hebrews. The author tells us in chapter 12 that there's a cloud of witnesses there, uh, a part of all these men and angels and, and women and children. They're cheering us on to the very end with our faith hopefully intact. Their lives were a testimony that they were a witness. And in Greek, that word for witness is the word martyr, martyr. So many of these saints, like St. Stephen in the book of Acts, for example, bore their testimony, gave their witness, even while they were being stoned or burned at the stake or fed to lions or torched in the emperor's courts. They bravely confessed Christ literally up to their dying day and moment. Yes, and beyond Stephen, we can think of many other well-known saints who have also their special day to commemorate and their faith their enduring faith is um, commemorated. Just around the corner, for example, a case in point is the Feast of St. Nicholas. His day is December 6th. He's the patron saint of children and, get ready for it, sailors. So he just didn't let the sailors talk to the children. So while a long list of well-known saints quickly gets even longer, St. Paul, St. Peter, to St. Augustine, St. Thomas Aquinas, St. Agnes, St. Francis, Santa Monica. Well, you get the picture. Uh, Monica was the mother of Augustine. And what a prayer warrior for August, Augustine was she, because she prayed her son out of a false religion and into the Christian church. So besides these officially canonized saints, even more dear to us here this morning are the saints we have known. Personally, the ones we call our loved ones, they kept the faith to the end. In a moment, we'll celebrate that with a little bell toll for them. And they are a good example now for us, too. They may not officially be canonized by, say, the Roman Catholic Church, but these dearly departed loved ones of ours inspired us all the same. And now they're rubbing elbows, as they say, with all those big names in paradise. This day, said Jesus to the thief on the cross, you will be with me in paradise. That thief had a very short stint in purgatory. Not even a day. Actually, not at all, period. That was part of what Luther protested against at the time of the Reformation. As Lutherans, this concept of purgatory does not materialize in the scripture. So therefore, we don't recognize it as anything real. We believe, teach, and confess that when Jesus said on the cross, one of his dying words, it is finished, paid in full. When Jesus said that, he meant it. It was finished. That's our canonization, the word of Christ the word that comes in the proclamation of the gospel and the word that comes in the sacraments. So St. Paul, writing to other Christians in his letters, can address them all 
as saints of God, like he does to the Roman Christians or the Corinthian Christians as well. And he also refers to the Ephesians as saints. So then what does it take to become a saint? Well, you know what the answer to that is. You just witnessed that little miracle right here in your midst this morning with uh, Magnolia, uh, who we need to be like to enter the kingdom of God, Jesus says. So today, little Magnolia received the full forgiveness of sins and the washing of regeneration, as Paul describes it in his letter to Titus. Magnolia received God's name on her head and on her heart. She received the light of Christ and the residing of the Holy Spirit. And all that was done for her in the Holy Sacrament of Baptism that we rejoice in today, and not we alone, but all the angels of heaven rejoice as well. Uh, That ceremony was cause for great celebration. She received the righteousness of Christ as she put on the Christ, the cleanest, purest white robe of all that we see on all those saints who are worshiping alive and well there in our Revelation passage. They're around the throne and around the Lamb, and it's this song that we sing today. That was a sneak peek there from the book of Revelation chapter 7. That's our 30,000 feet, compliments of the author of um, the book, the greatest book. Um, He is the author and the pector and perfecter of our own life story. And so as we tarry here still in the church militant, looking forward to joining those in the church triumphant, we know that the main character of all main characters, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, our Savior, promises to be with us in the fight, in the race, and he promises never to forsake us until one day our faith becomes sight also. And what a sight it will be. Amen. And then may he who began that good work bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Amen.